Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. Okay, delayed reaction. And hello to you folks at home who are watching, and hello to you at the campuses. Just hello, everybody. I'm Mike. If you're a first-time guest, that's my name. Now you know. What's your name? Don't tell me. Tell me later. Hey, I am about to launch into a sermon, but before I launch myself, I want... I'm so excited that the announcements for the women's retreats have started. I am the biggest cheerleader for women's retreats in the history of the world. And I'm a man. And, and I know I'm a man in this day and age. I'm a man, doggone it. Hey, back in my day, you rock and rollers, we had songs that just said things like, I'm a man. I think it was a Spencer Davis group or Blind Faith. or I'm a man. But I love the women's retreat because I love... The women of harvest, the, the, the women of God, they're godly women. And you say, well, I'm a woman of harvest. I don't know if I'm a godly woman. woman. Go to the retreat and we'll make you into one. That's what it's for. No, I'm not just excited about it because I preach on that Sunday, and I do. Um, and I'm not just excited because of who we have teaching. That's not me. Um, and I'm not just excited that everyone gets to go. I'm excited that our ladies are going to get a little step up in quality. Ladies, this ain't camping. All right, this ain't camping. You you don't have to climb in a bunk bed. No, no. This isn't food from a can. Homemade bread, hotel-style rooms, perfectly clean because it's run by by, uh, veterans of the United States military. And I'm not kidding. That's who runs this. It's the military run for military people. We snuck in there. We had to lie and say we were all military, but that's okay. No, we didn't lie. We told them the truth. They said we have an open weekend. Man, it's going to be exciting. I don't have anything to add to that. I'm just excited about it. So sign up. We asked them because normally they'll give you extra slots. And so uh, Christina, one of our leaders, sent the lady an email and said, so we signed up for 100. How many over can we go? She said, you can have 100. (laughs) This is the military. Like you signed up for 100, that's all you get. So boom, okay. But if you're 101, we'll sneak you in. We will sneak you in. You might get kicked out, but you don't know. Oh, one other thing. Next week, we begin uh, perhaps the pinnacle chapter of the Bible. Perhaps. It could be argued Romans chapter 8. After Paul describes salvation from Romans chapter 1 to the end of chapter 7, chapter 8 is the crescendo. uh, A great chapter. So much so that we're going to take all summer preaching through it. And it won't just be me, it'll be me, it'll be uh, Nate Adams, it will be uh, Scott, what's that guy's name, Rising, Mike Harvey, Andy Summers, am I leaving someone out? Is that everybody? And me, oh, and me, right, and, and so next week, Nate Adams, fresh from his tour of India, <laughs> his, his uh, life in India, Um, COVID brought him back here, so he says, well, I'll just preach. I can't wait to hear it. I hope you're there. Okay, now, let's get to our business today. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. Now, if you're on the ball, you'll realize that we should be starting Mark chapter 11, verse 1, if I stay in order, right? Because I finished chapter 10 last week. And you might say, Mike, you're doing chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. And I'd say, you are right. And that's out of order. And I'd say, you are right. And you'd probably think you probably have a great reason for that because you have 
probably spent time fasting and prayer and knew that this is the place to end this section of the series because you knew this would have the best impact and make the most sense. And if you said that, you'd be completely wrong. We're doing 8, 34 to 38 because I skipped it by accident. And I'm not kidding. That's the real reason why it's last. I somehow got all the way through chapter 10 and Scott Rising said, you know you skipped a few verses. You hope they're not that important, right? Like a genealogy. Oh no, this is a big one. This is the take up your cross and follow me. I'm like, I just missed that. So that's what we're doing today. Well, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. So let me set the scene. It, had it been in order, you would have, have fresh in your mind the scene, but um, I'm going to have to... Uh, what, you ever watch a TV show and they show you scenes from last week to start? Just to get you into the, back into the story? And Okay, that's what we're going to do here. Scenes from last episode way back when. Um, Peter had just said to Je- Jesus, said, I am going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten up and killed and whatnot. And Peter would have none of it. He said, no, sir, you are not doing that. You're Messiah. You're on the winning track. No one beat you up and kills you. If anything, they beat me up and I'll get in your way. No one beat you up. And probably some of you remember what Jesus said. He looked at Peter and said these startling words, get behind me, Satan. He says, get, you are, he says, your mind is on the, on the, on the interest of Satan, on the interest of man. Same thing. Not on the interest of God. Your mind's in the wrong place. So here is a major rebuke. I mean, if you're looking at this as a political campaign, then the leading candidate just rebuked his chief of staff right in front of everybody, called him Satan. And everyone's listening. And right when they're all listening, in this very serious moment, boom, we start our text. And here it is. And calling the crowd to him and his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Yes, these are the four verses I skipped. Oh my goodness, are they loaded. (laughs) So I'm thinking, how am I going to tackle this? So I'm just going to make eight observations to go through it so that we can understand the text, all right? I just made a list. I said, man, there's a lot of important things in these few verses Number one, Jesus speaks to both the disciples and the seekers. By seekers, I put, that's the crowd, right? So notice that it's a very serious moment. Jesus had just uh, reamed out Peter right in front of everybody, the leader, and he's got the 12 around him, but he also has a lot of other people following the crowd, if you will, (laughs) and it says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He's like, I... Peter has said something that makes me want to tell all of you, not just you guys, everybody, come here, come in. Everyone come in, it's like football practice, you're yelling at the, at the quarterback, and then you think, well, I'm going to yell at everybody. Everybody come in, take a knee, I'm going to yell at all of you. So this is a very important message. Likewise, the Word of God is living and active. This Word didn't die on Jesus' tongue. It came out through Mark's pen, and God preserved it for you 
and it's living and active right now. And so I can't help but feel like we're in the crowd. Some of you are disciples, some of you are in the crowd. He says, come on, I have an important message for you. So you might say, well, this, I, I think church is good, and I like God, and I like to worship. Um, but do you ever consider that every single time you show up, God has an individual thing to say to you? He wants the word to affect you. So as the crowd comes in to hear him, let's all come in and hear him. Second observation. Full commitment is required from day one. If you're a follower of Jesus, full commitment is required from day one. This is like joining the army or jumping off the high dive, right? If you join the army and they take you into boot camp, you can't say to the sergeant yelling at you and saying horrible things about your mother and making you run, excuse me, sir, can we just spend half the day doing this drill stuff because I'm just trying to get used to the army to kind of break in, you know, let's take our time. And maybe if after a couple weeks, I don't, it doesn't work out, I go home. They're like, then they start saying worse things about your mother and you run even farther. Why? Because when you join the army, the army owns you. The ar- if you go to boot camp, I don't know if a lot of you know this about boot camp and I've never been because I do know this about boot camp, but this is why I'm not going unless I really feel I need to. I would to protect my country, but otherwise I'm avoiding that place. They tell you when you sleep and they don't care whether you're used to eight hours. You know, you could tell the drill sergeant, I am this circadian rhythm thing and like, you, you have what? You are getting up, son. I've only slept one hour and that's all you're going to sleep because we're going to run 20 miles. They tell you when you can go to the bathroom and when you have to clean it. They tell you when you can eat. And if everybody eats and you all have five minutes and you're last in line and there's 30 seconds left, they decide whether you get more than 30 seconds. And normally they will say, no, sir, you do not get more than 30 seconds. And you know what you can say with all your whining and crying? They're like, this ain't college is what they say. There's no safe space for you, little snowflake. We own you. And they tell you what color underwear to wear. They give you the underwear. I'm not kidding. They give you the underwear. You will wear these underwears. That's control. That's micromanagement. And then they give you a gun, send you to a jungle, and say, do what we trained you. You don't try out the army. You don't try out jumping off the high dive. If you go swimming and you say, I'm going to go off the high dive. (laughs) You're going to go off the high dive? Eh, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to go a little ways. Look, you can stand on the board and think about it as long as you want. But until you've gone off the high dive, 100%, you haven't gone off at all. You you take one step and boom, it's 100%. That's following Jesus. All in or nothing. Let's, Let's look at his language. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Jesus said, apostles, obviously you're in for a penny, in for a pound, but all you crowd, and there's probably some in the crowd going, hey, I'm just trying to decide whether I like you. Fine. (laughs) But if you do make that decision, you cannot wade into this thing. Because what you have to do is take up a cross and follow me. Okay, this language may not stand out as strongly to us because it almost sounds religious. In the spirit of the craziness that is our world, how about if we said this? You will take up a noose and follow me. You will take a noose, put it in your NASCAR, and drive around the track. We say, well, that's controversial to say noose. Don't you think it's controversial in Roman times to tell someone to take up a cross? 
Crosses weren't, they were what you took non-Romans and, and hung them to dry in the sun. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Yeah, get one of those. Go pick out your favorite electric chair. I don't think he said electric chair because no one figured out electricity yet, but that's probably why. Pick out your favorite firing squad. It's an instrument of execution. If you're going to follow me, are you ready to be executed? What if you want to join a club? Your friend says, hey, I got this great club. We're all meeting down at Main Street in this little place at 7 o'clock. Let's go. And you go in, they give you refreshments, and they say, okay, the meeting starts. If you want to be a part of this club, we begin with voluntary execution. Not suicide. <laughs> execution. You're like, well, I got other things to do. What does that mean? The moment I take up my noose and they hang it over the tree, and I say, okay, that's mine, I've given up my self-directed life, haven't I? I've given up my personal agenda. I've given up my future. All the years of your life are sacrificed to follow the leader. Not just, hey, people often think, well, if you just pray this prayer, you'll get saved. I think since so many people enter the kingdom by praying the sinner's prayer, and I'm not against that, but often they don't have enough understanding, Christians will even tell them, if you just pray this prayer, you'll be saved. And that's not true. If you say to Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and you don't have an understanding that you just surrendered all the future years of your life, I don't know if you're in the club. Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he's got to take up this cross. It's all or nothing. There's no waiting in. There's no test drives. It's, there's no turning back. Bridges are burned. Your agenda. I think Judas never figured this out. What was Judas's issue? He, he was only in halfway. He liked a lot of things about Jesus, but he also liked money, and he also had some sort of agenda. I think you see that with a lot of people who go to church for a long time and they're really not into it. Not when the pressure's on. You know, they say there's an 80-20 rule. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you right now. Or I wouldn't have brought it up. And it works in church too. Um, in a voluntary organization like the church, 20% of the people give 80% of the finances and do 80% of the work. At least. And then... 80% of the people give 20%. And you might say, well, at Harvest, is that true? Because I heard that as a pastor, and I was wondering, that's a rule of thumb. Is that going to be true in the church as I pastor? Because I'm going to be preaching. They're going to be on fire for Jesus. Spirit's going to fall down. And we're going to turn that to 90-10. Nope, it's 80-20 it's at Harvest. 20% of you are paying all the bills. And 80% of you are paying none, almost. 20% of you volunteer to make everything go. And 80% of you never get involved. Hardly. It's just the way it is. Now, I thought, at first I thought that's discouraging, but then I realized, well, it's not discouraging. With that, now what I realize what that means is if 20% of the people are fired up for Jesus, have given their whole lives to Jesus, they become so interesting that each one of them brings about four more people along to watch them burn. 
You get what I'm saying? Because that's, I did the math. It's, it's, it's 20, that means 10 to 40. So that's every one of you who's on fire for the Lord, who's given your all for the Lord. People, so if we had, if everyone who heard my voice was, was 100% in, then I think we'd have 80% more come. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, am I saying that the 20% are the only ones who are saved? No. But I am saying probably. You may say, that's harsh. I don't know what you want me to say. I look on the outside. On the outside, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You're all saved. But people who are 100% for any cause look like they're 100% for any cause. They may have bad moments, bad seasons, but for the most part, they look all in. So yeah, probably 20% of you are going to be in heaven. Maybe 30. Maybe, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe 90. I do think if 90% of the people who said they go to harvest were all in for Christ, I think we'd have a lot more people going to harvest and a lot more change. in our. We'd be planning more churches. See where I'm going? Because you can have a crowd of followers of Jesus. You know, Jesus at times, one time he had a bunch of people following him, and he turned to him and he said, he, he said, listen, if you want to follow me, you got to eat of my flesh. They're like, what? Yeah, you got to eat of my flesh. He just starts saying radical things. And a bunch of them said, well, if this is true, we don't think you can follow him. We don't think we can follow you. And the Bible says many left him in that day. And you know what Jesus did? Nothing. Let him go. Did you hear about our kids program? Did you hear about our bus ministry? Did you see the new things we're doing? Nope, he didn't do any of that. I have a felt need sermon for you. Nope. Just let him go. He actually preached a sermon to get rid of people. I don't do that because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I want you to stay. I fish for the other 80%. I hammer at the other. I'm always preaching to the 80%. Why? Because the 20% get fired up when you preach to the 80%. They're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's take the hill. Come on. So I'm always yelling at the 80%. That's my mission. <laughs> Pull more in. All right, enough of this. You get the point. Is It's all in from day one. There's no waiting in to being a Jesus follower. Now, that doesn't mean you can't think for a long time before you decide to follow. You can stand on the diving board a long time. You can visit the recruitment office and take two years to make up your mind. Some people take a long time, but once you're in, it's all in. Whole hog or none at all. In for a penny, in for a pound. Third, I got to hurry. <laughs> Full commitment to a message is required. You might say, well, I'm committed to Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus is my man. Jesus is everything. I love Jesus. Yeah, good. Are you equally committed to the words that came out of his mouth and the words of the Bible since God wrote them all? Well, that's kind of second place. No, it isn't. Look again at the text. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for who? For my sake. Okay, that's him. And the Gospels. He adds, and the Gospels. The the word gospel means good news or great news. I have a great announcement for you. You are committing to die for a great announcement. Right? Think about that for a minute. I am committing to die for a great announcement. Jesus does not separate himself from his message. I separate myself from my message. You know why? 
because I'm fallen and I've told a lot of lies in my life. And I want you to forget those. I'm trying not to tell those because I'm fallen and I've said some cowardly things and some angry things and some mean things and some awful things and some stupid things. I prefer you separate me from my words, right? <laughs> I'm trying my best. Who's, who's with me? Who's like that? If some of you own all your words, you say, no, I always want that to be me. You know what? You have no friends. <laughs> Jesus, not so. He, he, he puts them on the same basis. If you, whoever loses life for my sake and this great message's sake will save it. Words are dangerous things these days, aren't they? The Constitution gives you free speech, but our culture won't. <laughs> there are people. Who's this? Someone was in the news. I don't even remember who it was. Somebody. It was a big news story, which will drive you crazy, by the way, news stories. But somebody hit like on Facebook or Twitter and lost his job. I don't remember who that was. But it could happen in, in a local school district. A teacher could call a boy a he and get fired. Words. Words are dangerous things. You, Christian. Jesus followers. Christians will be continually at, a, at cross purposes with the world's words. You know why? Jesus came to divide us with his words. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, carrying around lambs and saying nice things like, I hate war. Peace, my friends. This is the Jesus the world wants. The Jesus that's in the book says, I have come to be a stumbling block. And and Pharisees, they're going to stumble right on me and crash. Right? I'm a rock of offense. As Paul says, you will stumble on Christ. If you're a a Greek, you'll think it's foolish. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to divide a man from his daughter. To divide people. The whole world is under the authority of Satan. Because mankind fell. And we had that authority. So mankind naturally thinks the wrong way. Some of you are trying to figure out why is America crazy? I'm going to give you the answer, not because I'm a rocket scientist, although who know they would know. They know rockets. <laughs> not because I'm a sociologist, I should go there, or a great historian. I'm neither one. I'm not a great philosopher. But we've been told for years, and now we're seeing it's true. That what the Bible says about human beings when they cast, Psalm 2 is your answer. Read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a a vain thing? The The kings say to God, throw off his chains. We used to live in a society that believed there was a creator. We put it in our founding document. Even if you weren't an all-in Christian, you knew there was a creator. You, have, you are living in a society that for decades has taught from its universities that, that you are autonomous. Truth is what you make it. Truth is perception. Truth is within. You have your truth. No one has a God. So you are seeing human beings act like human beings. This is what an unrestrained... You take some of the restraints off and we will burn down buildings. 
We will kill people. We will hate each other. We will fight. We will rape, rob, and pillage. That's what you're seeing because the whole world goes against Jesus. And when you say, I'm 100% in with Jesus, guess what? You just joined the wrong team. (laughs) Right? It's like being at a Hell's Angels biker rally (laughs) and standing up and say, I just joined the cops. (laughs) I'm all alone here. How you people doing? No gun. That's what you do. What parts of the Bible are not so popular. Guess what? You are committed to a message. Four, the commitment to Jesus and the gospel destroys your life. Now this one, you know, like that's a radical way to say that. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to go with the language of the Bible. So, so in other words, what Jesus is not saying here, you know, you might lose your life if you follow me. It could happen. Because most people who follow Jesus don't lose their life for the gospel. Not in the sense that you're killed. Okay? So some of you can breathe easy. Most time pastors get it. So if they come, you, you're the pastor, okay? Take my place. <laughs> no, just kidding. But Jesus didn't say, he didn't say some of you will die. And most of you won't. What he's saying here is you will willingly put your life to death every day. You will destroy your life. Let me show you this. Again, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Perhaps what would help if you knew that word loses (laughs) means destroyed. You say, well, why is it translated loses? And most time in the Bible it's translated destroyed. The reason it's translated loses here is because it makes most sense with the with the flow of the sentence. The word is like apolias. Like if, have you ever seen Revelation, like, was it 9 or 11, that says that there's this demon who's the head of the angels of hell or something, and his name is Apollyon? Any of you see that? Yeah. Same word. The destroyer. That's, now, this doesn't mean there's demons that has anything to do with this. They're two different words. This one is a is a verb, not a person. <laughs> but it's saying, whoever destroys his life for my sake will, there's a self-destruction of your life. Imagine a man at 18 years of old of age, and let's say he's got a decent start on life. Um, and and, and he's, he's got plans. He, he cuts his hair and he shaves his face. Novel things to do. And he's clean cut and he's, he's, he's smart and he's obeyed his mom or dad and he's ready to take on the world. And doggone it, he's got plans. He's going to do things. He's going to learn things. He's going to build things. He's going to fix things. And he's going to marry so-and-so type of girl and he's going to have a family. He's going to buy a house and he's going to be the president. He's got a plan. And before he starts out on his plan, he goes, I think I'm going to look into Jesus. Jesus, I got a plan. I'm going places. And Jesus, he says, how's that sound? Jesus says, follow me. Man says, okay, but I got a plan, right? I got a plan. I got goals. I got things I'm doing. I'm going places. Um, Jesus says, kill them. He doesn't say, we could probably work out your American dreams and you could follow me. He says, destroy them. Destroy that plan. Destroy the plan. I'm going places. Destroy that. Well, can I just take some of my plans? No. 
No, no. If you're going to follow me, you're going to destroy it all. Well, where are you going? I'm not telling you. Well, what's going to happen? We'll find out. Why should I do that? Well, you either trust me or you don't. Jesus was walking along, not at this time, but earlier. And, and some guy ran up to him and says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. He was so psyched by the sermon. Jesus preached a great three-point sermon, told a good poem at the end, passed the basket. You know, this guy answered the altar call. You know, Jesus said, everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. And he ran, just kidding. This guy ran up. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, if, you're a, if I was a bird, you could fly back to my nest with me. If I was a fox, I got a nice den. But I don't have any place at all to go where I can care for you. <laughs> it's not much of a pitch. <laughs> Guys, preachers on TV give you, at least they tell you you're going to get stuff. <laughs> follow them. Another one, Jesus walked up to him and said, you, follow me. What a great invite. Jesus was here in the flesh and he pointed at you and said, hey, follow me. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? But then you think how busy you are. The guy says, what, well, wait, allow me, allow me first to go home and bury my father. And Jesus looks at you and goes, why don't you allow the dead, spiritually dead people in his life to bury him? You come with me and proclaim the kingdom of God. wait. You want me to just let them handle this? I'm the oldest one. Yep. And what do I do? You come and you just speak the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Uh Another guy says, I'll follow you. But first, I got to go say goodbye. I'm not going to do like that guy did. I'm just going to say goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. All that you can find in Matthew chapter 9. Does this sound like a dangerous call to you? Well, whoever said Jesus was safe? Whoever said following Jesus was safe? Whoever said being a Christian was safe? I'll tell you who. The preachers and the churches and the other Christians at the church. And they all lied to you. There's nothing safe about following Jesus. He will mess up your life. And he tells you, take your life and destroy it. Five. Commitment to Jesus and the gospel saves your life. Now, up till now, it's kind of scary. But don't miss. Jesus isn't showing you the path like a lemming to run off a cliff. Right? He's showing you the path to life. I mean, death to self. Death to self is the call here. Now, don't, don't think suicide. Suicide is a sin. Never do it. If you're ever thinking about it, just think of all the people who will f- feel the same way you feel in that moment because you did it and how many of them will follow you in it because you did it because that's the pattern of man. So don't ever do it. But he is talking about the self-destruction of your days, your dreams, your life. But he's doing it for a good reason. Verse 35, whoever would save his life will destroy it. And whoever destroys his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. <laughs> Look, okay, human. If you're a human and you're hearing my voice, 
I'm not going to pull you out as a Christian or not a Christian, a seeker, none of that stuff, none of the 80-20 stuff. Just forget that I ever said that. Are you a human being? If you're a human being, the life you think you have is borrowed. You don't have a life. It was never yours. You borrowed it. It was given by God to you. No matter what it is, whether you were born with privilege or oppressed, (laughs) whether you're born rich or poor, whether you're born with one arm or two, you didn't, that's not your life. You borrowed it. And everything in it you borrowed. All those people in it you borrowed. All the money in it you borrowed. All the, if you love your kneecaps, they're borrowed. I have the cutest kneecaps. They're borrowed. If you like your nose, it's borrowed. You like your hair, it's borrowed. If you hate your face, can't give it back, but it's still borrowed. Every day of your life is borrowed. And you borrowed it from the holy God who lent it to you. And he will, at the end of your days, take it back and say, what did you do with it? And you go, oh, I was supposed to do something with this? Yeah, you were made in my image. You're supposed to glorify me. You're supposed to do good deeds in my name. You're supposed to live for me. But I had my own plans. Well, I don't care about those. What did you do with the life I gave you? The owner wants an accounting. This is the whole point of judgment day. So, so what Jesus is saying is, would you rather rule yourself? America, oh, I don't want no one to rule with me. Some people say, well, I'd, <laughs> what is it? I'd, rather, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. Well, I got bad news for you. <laughs> Service is a good thing uh, to, the, to the maker of heaven, and nobody's in charge of hell but the one you refuse to serve. He's in charge there, too. Isn't it Satan? No, he ain't there. And he ain't going to be impressed with how, what, a, what a tough, bad dude you are. God ain't impressed. Well, even if I do go to hell, no man rules me. I'm going to do it my way. Well, that's where you're wrong, you see, because what you really are is a thief. You've stolen life from God, and you're wasting it. If you go your own way, God will destroy you. He will destroy you forever in hell. Where it says in Revelation 11, there is no rest for you. you, Here you could say, well, wait a minute. You're saying if I don't follow Jesus, I'll be destroyed in hell. Yeah. So isn't that like God holding a gun to my head? Well, no. God doesn't hold a gun to your head. He holds eternal destruction to your head. It's more like an atom bomb. Shouldn't you apologize for that? That's not a nice thing to say in our culture. It's the truth. It's what you need to hear. He said it. If you want to save your life, you want to run your own life, you want power over your days, you want to be the captain of your ship, oh, captain, my captain, guess what? You're going to hell. But if you'll lose your life. And then Jesus says this. Look, he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He's, he's practically begging the crowd to think this thing through. What, if you think running your life is so great, you'll lose your life. <laughs> but what can, it, what can you give in return for your soul, he's asked. What, he's using very compelling logic on the human race, on you today. What is it you expect to gain in this world that's worth your soul? 
In these 80 years, if you're lucky, that's going to be worth the 8 quadrillion years that follow. Number six observation. Being ashamed of Jesus' words is equal to being ashamed of Jesus. This kind of goes with the earlier part. You're committed 100% to the man and his message. But likewise, it's, it's just as much a judgment on you if you're ashamed of his words as if you're ashamed of him. In other words, to fail Jesus is equal to failing his words. Let me show you. Verse 38, I'm reading the text again to you. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me, and look at these next four words. Four words. <laughs> I had to count. And of my words. He didn't say, whoever's ashamed of me, and leave it at that. Words are very important to God. Whoever's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory with his Father and the holy angels. Right? It's hard to be ashamed of Jesus as a concept because people like to bend Jesus into whatever shape suits them. Today, this week in the news, we had people trying to determine the color of Jesus' skin, right? <laughs> we had the Archbishop of Canterbury just came out. I don't know if you saw this. It's on a cert- certain Christian news site. He's saying, we have to rethink whether having statues of white Jesus is good. To which I say, if churches are thinking about getting rid of statues of Jesus, in general, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> really keeps us away from breaking the second commandment. But... What, what's the conversation? People are trying to make Jesus whatever they want him. I'm telling you, he looked like Woody Allen. He was an average Jewish dude. My wife hates it when I say that. Aren't there better looking Jewish guys? Richard Gere? So he, was, he was of no form that we should look on him. I think he was Woody Allen. That's, in any case. But it's not just skin color. Being in India, I was, it's been made known to me but Hindus believe in Jesus too. They add him to their gods. Muslims believe in Jesus. I've been in discussions in America with Muslims who say, well, we too believe in Jesus. We honor Jesus also. He is a great prophet. He, we believe he's coming back. And the Christian is supposed to say, okay, I found some common ground with this Muslim. Why should I argue? And many Christians do that. You know what I call that? Being ashamed of the words of Jesus. Because the words of Jesus say, will make you say, come back at some way and say to your friend, the Muslim, who you love and are trying to serve, say to him, but you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Which will make their heads explode. You know, Mormons. Everyone wants Glenn Beck to be a Christian. Glenn Beck's not a Christian. I'm sorry, you political hacks. He's not. We always talk about receiving Christ. I don't care what he talks about. Because, well, he loves Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah, but he said, if you're ashamed of my words, my words, his words, uh, um, he is the Lord, the Son of God, but the only begotten Son of God. Mormons believe that his father is the son of another man who became a god, who's the son of another man who became a god, and that Jesus' brother is Satan. So it might be nice to find common ground with the Mormons, but at some point, if you're not ashamed of Jesus, 
you know, you're on the university campus and, well, you know, Jesus would be a socialist, man. He's into sharing. Jesus is into peace, man. He doesn't like war. I know I'm talking like a 70s person because that's when, you know, I don't know how you say it now. Jesus is dope, man. He's dope. He's, he's, he, okay, we got common ground, me and the hipsters. Now I'm cool. Or we could remember that I'm not just proud of Jesus, I'm proud of his words. <laughs> okay, he, he is against war. Did you know he's at war with people who hate him? And that until you come to his side... Right now, he's inviting you, but eventually he comes back with an army and he kills everyone who doesn't believe in him. You won't be hip anymore. I mean, there's... That means if you stand with Jesus, you're standing on a message that you're not ashamed of. Are you ashamed of his teachings on sex, gender, pro-life words, and sex roles in the home? I, I am not ashamed to say... That what God prefers for you, young man, and unless he withholds a woman, is that you marry. And what God prefers from you, young lady, is that you marry. And that the most important thing in both of your life is that family, not either one of your career. And that, young lady, you should expect to have as many babies as you can. Because the Bible said, be fruitful and multiply. And that life will be better if you stay married to a person of the opposite sex and have babies. And if God doesn't give you babies, that you stay committed to one another nonetheless. Well, that's not very popular. That's not what feminists want to hear. I just read an article from Newsweek yesterday. And, and these two d demographers are just whining because the, the birth rate in America is now 1.7%. Now, I don't know if they're right. Other people had us at 2.1. But what you need to know is 2.1 to 2.3 is replacement. So America's shrinking. And, and in it, it said, and women, a survey said that most, the vast majority of women who don't have kids want them. And the ones who have one wish they had had another when they called them in their older age. And then they complain that everything's too expensive. Listen, here is truth. You've told women for decades now that the way they're going to be important is if they shed the home, shed the baby in an abortion clinic, get out there and compete with the man, and before they can get ahead, they're 35 stinking years old, and they don't have a man. If they do have a man, they're not going to take a chance to have a baby, and now they're dissatisfied, and you wonder why? Because you didn't listen to God. That's the truth. Are you ashamed of that truth? Will it offend your feminist friends? Heck yeah, it will. <laughs> but if you're ashamed of his words, we got to be like Paul. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, seven. Our world is adulterous and sinful. Now our world is a beautiful place, so we're really talking about the people of the world. And people are wonderful. I'm not better than a single person living. Not the person you'd consider the worst sinner. I wouldn't say I'm better than him or her. But it's adulterous. Jesus, in other words, Jesus in this text acknowledges peer pressure and groupthink. He knows that we're going to feel pressured to go along with not his words, but bad words, <laughs> bad ideas. Jesus knows that he puts you in a tough situation at work or at school, or even among your family. That if you're going to take a stand for him, you're going the wrong direction. Jesus knows that peer pressure on a human tempts him. 
to, to just, can we soften the message a little bit? And how do we know he knows that? Because he says it. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. And, and you say, what generation? Every generation. The generation he was talking to, but every generation is sinful that a Christian lives in. In every generation. This isn't new, what you're seeing. Back in the Old Testament, God would set whole cities on fire for the behavior that we celebrate as liberated. I mean, it's Pride Month. Pride. So the world is taking pride in what God calls a demented abomination. And I think the emphasis this time is on black trans. I've never even met a black trans. But we're proud of them. Well, you think that's new? You think that's new? You ever heard of Rome? You ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? This is what human beings do. They oppose righteousness and they celebrate sin. And they mock good behavior. God knows that you are susceptible to peer pressure. And so he puts two things against each other. He says, don't be ashamed of me, the Holy One, among all these adulterous, wicked people who are going to hell. (laughs) He says, or I'll be ashamed of you when? When I come in glory with God and the holy angels. He's shifting your peer pressure group. (laughs) He's saying, if you want peer pressure, let me be your peer pressure. (laughs) Act like I'm standing next to you. Now talk. And that leads us to our last observation. The return of Jesus is the only moment in your life worth placing value upon. Now, I said this in a controversial way on purpose. But I'm going to explain it and hopefully convince you. The only one moment in your life worth placing value on. After that, I don't know how many because I don't know what happens after the Lord returns. I know it's controversial because in a sense, every moment of life matters. Every moment is precious. None should be wasted. Right? Right, Mike. Thank you for supporting me. Because life is lived in the present. I can't live in yesterday and I can't live in tomorrow. But in a different sense, I'd argue only one matters. And let me show you again from our text. For whoever is ashamed of me, verse 38... And of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. When? When is a time-bound word, isn't it? When he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. So apparently, Jesus is saying, look, um, he's, he's comparing this to those who would save their life and those who lose their life. If you would save your life, you will be destroyed. If you'll destroy your life, you'll live. If you will not stand up for me in a wicked generation, I'm not going to stand up for you when... When the Lord returns in his glory to judge the living and the dead. And the Son of Man is coming back. Let me ask you, is the moment of his return the most important single moment of your life? If not, what would change if it was? Think about that. What would change? You probably don't sit around thinking about the moment of his return. I'm telling you, you should every day. You're saying he's coming back soon? Probably, but I don't care if he's coming back in a thousand years. You're gonna, (laughs) the rubber meets the road when he returns for all of us. So what if that was the most valuable? The most valuable day of my life is the day I'm gonna get married or the day I have a baby or the day I retire or the day I hold my first grandchild. 
Or the day I binge watch The Office. (laughs) Whatever. What if I put it this way? What if we find out that every moment, every second on your watch gets its value, borrows its value from the last day? What do I mean by that? (laughs) Jesus said this in Matthew 13. Just listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down. They gathered the good fish into containers and the bad ones they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you, on that day, which do you think the people about to go into furnace of fire will be thinking, I wish I'd taken this day more seriously than every other day of my life? And on that day, <laughs> as you enter in the gates of splendor, God willing, don't you, won't you say, I'm happy I took this day seriously? And I'm happy I lived my life for this king. Jesus was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said, Lord, are there just a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We taught in your streets. We went to your school. We went to your church. I was in the first United Church of whatever in Main Street all my life. I I was raised in in this. I was there. I, I ate the little wafer. I was there. And he said, I'll tell you, I don't know you. Depart from me. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. This is a very strong message from Jesus and a very dangerous one. He says, look, crowd, you want to follow me? Yeah? Then you need to destroy your life. I'm going to a cross. You take one up now too. All your goals... All your dreams, whatever you think you want, crush them. I am the, I'm the life you get. First Peter 1.13, I'm going to end on this text. I had like three of them, but I'm only going to end on this one. Because they all said the same thing. <laughs> Therefore, Peter says to you and me, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope, listen, fully. Set your hope fully. What does that mean? To set something fully, F-U-L-L-Y. I have some hope, you know, I have some hope that I'm going to see this in my life and this in my life. I'll get this in my life and I I have a bucket list. Ever since the movie, everyone's got a bucket list. I I do want to see you in heaven, but I got a bucket list, God, and I got to do all this stuff before I die. So I do want to see you, but don't let me die uh, before I I go to, I don't know, some zoo out in Arizona that has the biggest lizard in the world that's on my bucket list, whatever's on your list. No, 100% of my hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation, the revealing of the sun in the sky. Not the 
S-U-N, S-O-N. <laughs> didn't mean to make that pun. That was by accident. So I say to the Christian here, the all-in disciple, <laughs> this is daily for us. We have to die daily. It's time to just do, you should, we should be doing checkups all the time. Time for your personal private with God checkup from the neck up. Am I all in? Am I all in or have I let myself? Because even though you may not be going to hell, there is a reckoning of all we've done in his name. And there is some sort of, I don't know, accounting, (laughs) announcement, reward, regret. I don't know how God does it. You can say, well, I've been letting everything in life slide and become more important to me than Jesus and his words. Okay. And I say, let's check up for my neck up too. We're all the same. Let's, let's, let's remember that we burn the bridges in the harbor so we can't go back. But if you're not sure you're 100% in, you're not sure you're his, well, I'm fishing for you. I'm saying take a step off the high dive. You say, if I go into that water... What can you promise me? I can promise you eternal life forever and ever and joy forever. What else? Well, that's about all I got. But if that ain't enough, dang, you're hard to please. Well, I want this and I want that and I want to sleep with my girlfriend and I want to live with this person and I want to do this and I got my own dreams. Well, then don't, don't follow Jesus. And maybe you stop faking like you follow Jesus. If you go to church or you tell people you're a Christian to please someone in your family, just knock it off. Say, I might go to church with you, Mom, but I don't believe this stuff. Why? Because I like to run my own life. That way your mom can know you're going to hell. And maybe she could talk some sense into you. I mean, if you're not going to follow Jesus, have the courage of your conscience. (laughs) But if you are, well, as I've said before, and I'll say a million times if God lets me, come on in, the water's fine. This is where we find life. Can I pray for you guys? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.